Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. So tonight we are in the Daniel Chronicles. The Daniel Chronicles. This is part 18. And we, we kind of intro chapter 11, but I'm still calling this chapter 11 part 1. And we'll do a little review and introduction and, um, and move hopefully all the way through chapter 11. It might, it might not happen though. That's why I called it part one. So let's say a prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you speak to our hearts, God, as only you can. Do a great work, Father. Speak to us through this, this little book of Daniel. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's look at verse one of... The Daniel Chronicles, Daniel chapter 11, verse 1. Also in the first year of Darius the Mede, I even, I, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Now this is continuing from chapter 10. And it's this parenthetical phrase where Gabriel is speaking and says that uh, he even stood up to confirm and strengthen Darius the Mede. This is really mind-boggling to me because this, this is fascinating. God was going to use Darius in this great master plan of redemption, Darius the Mede. Notice it doesn't say Darius the Jew or Darius from the tribe of Benjamin. Darius the Mede, the Medes and the Persians. This guy's a Gentile. And God was going to use Darius the Mede in this, this plan of redemption. And so he gets a high-ranking angel, Gabriel, one of the three archangels that we know of. And, and Gabriel is sent to confirm and strengthen Darius so that he would fulfill his destiny. Think about that. Here is this Gentile king with evil intentions. Evil intentions. And yet, one of the highest ranking angels in all of heaven comes down to confirm and strengthen him to make sure that he does his part in what God had up his sleeve without Darius really ever knowing it. I'm going to tell you something. If God will send an angel to confirm and strengthen a Gentile king in his redemptive plans, don't you think God will send supernatural help to you to see that you fulfill your destiny and calling and his redemption plan? I mean, he lo- we're like we're his children, right? So so if he cared to get his plan accomplished and, and would even confirm his strength in Gentile kings, how much more his sons and daughters? I love that. I love that. But let me go ahead and say this: never mistake his anointing. For his approval. Just because you're anointed doesn't mean he's approving of you personally or your lifestyle or what you're doing. Darius the Mede had a, a, a cog in this wheel. He was, he was a, a spoke in this wheel. He had a part in the plan and the Lord was to make sure that he accomplished it. But that didn't mean Darius the Mede was in right standing with God. So God used a donkey in the Bible, 
spoke through a donkey. King James calls it something else, but I'm, I'm not going to say it because it'll go viral, you know. <laughs> but God spoke through Balaam's donkey. Donkey starts talking to him. I always want to say donkey, you know. I want to say it like Shrek, but don't. He, God used a donkey. God can use anybody that he chooses, saved, lost, indifferent, whatever, to push his plans and, and purposes forward. Darius had ideas, and we'll see this as we get into this narrative, but Darius had ideas that he thought were his ideas, but God was putting them in his mind. And the angel was involved in making sure that he, he took care of business. He did what he was supposed to do. Now we're going to revisit some familiar territory, verse 2. And now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings will arise in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than them all. By his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. Three more kings will arise in Persia. So the angel is telling Daniel there will be three more kings until a fourth one arises. The fourth king would be strong, rich. He, he will oppose the realm of Greece. The, the, the strong, rich fourth king would be fulfilled in the Persian king, Xerxes. Now, this is familiar territory because we've looked at starting back with the head of gold. Remember, it was Babylon. And then the uh, arms and, and, and chest of silver. That was the Medes and the Persians. And then that was described in, a, in another vision as, as the lion. And, and then you, you had that bear that was raised up on one side, the Medes and the Persians. The Persians were the stronger of the two. But those animals represented these kingdoms. That, that statue or that image represented these kingdoms. So we're back to some of this, some of this stuff. So that, that king, this fourth king, would be fulfilled in the Persian king Xerxes. And he would be far richer. Guzik points this out in fulfillment. There were actually four kings from the time Daniel spoke of until Xerxes, the one who did stir up all against the realm of Greece. So the angel is either omitting the current king Cyrus or looking only to the future, uh, or he's ignoring King Smyrdas of Persia. And this is the one I think it is. He ignores this one, this one old coot because... He ruled less than a year and was an imposter to the throne. So God pays attention to the details very much. We're going to see that throughout this. So Persia, Greece, these, these visions and insights regarding the future of the Persian and Greek empires were relevant because each empire was attempting to wipe out the people of God at one time or another. The Persian empire tried to wipe out the Jewish people through Xerxes. That's the plot of Haman. That's the book of Esther in your Bible. The Greek Empire tried to wipe out the Jewish people during the reign of Antiochus IV when he attempted to kill every Jew who did not renounce their commitment to God and embrace Greek Hellenized culture. So let's look at verses 3 through 5. Then a mighty king shall rise who shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And when he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken up and divided toward the four winds of heaven but not among his posterity, nor according to his dominion with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be uprooted even for others besides these. Also the king of the south shall become strong as well as one of his princes 
and he shall gain power over him and have dominion. His dominion shall be a great dominion. We go through these verses, and it's kind of overwhelming. Like, what in the world does that mean? I want to remind you, every jot, every tittle, every crossing of the T, dotting of the I is significant in the Scripture. The rabbis believe that when Messiah comes, not only will he explain, and we know that Messiah has already come, but I'm saying Messiahs that are not messianic at this point, they don't believe in Jesus, they believe that when Messiah comes, he will not only provide us the meaning, give us the interpretation of the words, he'll give us the interpretation and the meaning behind the letters and the spaces between the letters and the spaces between the words. They have a high respect and reverence for the structure the structure of the scripture itself. And we've looked at some heavy-duty stuff. I'm telling you, God pays attention to the details. So what does what do these verses mean? Verses 3 through 5. Well, a mighty king shall arise. So the angel is telling Daniel that there is this king with great dominion, but his kingdom would not endure, and it would be divided after his death. And so what is that all about? says that he shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. So here we have this, this great king coming from the hills of the Medes and the Persians, and, and he's powerful. Who would that be? It would be Greece. It would be Alexander the Great. He is the mighty king. He died at the age of 32 years old of a fever after some evermore party in Babylon. That's a true story. He, he partied until he fell over dead. And, and he was only 32 years of age. The, the, the prophecy uh, is not going to mainly deal with Alexander uh, because Alexander chose not to mess with Jerusalem. He conquered that general area, but Alexander made the choice, I'm not going to mess with Jerusalem. I love this, okay? I'm going to do some historical reading to you, but, but bear with me. This is from the ancient historian Josephus. And so he records this interesting arrival of Alexander the Great into Jerusalem. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, it is pretty amazing when you, you get there and you see some of the landmarks. I can only imagine back in this day and time. So Alexander the Great, who's from Macedon, his dad was Philip of Macedon. He's, he's Alexander the Great. Over, He's the king of Greece. He's the, 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 the head honcho. And, and he's conquering everything, and he comes to Jerusalem. And, and Josephus records this, this arrival. Listen to this. This is from Antiquities of the Jews, book 9, chapter 8. Now, Alexander, when he had taken Gaza, made haste to go up to Jerusalem. And Jadua, the high priest, when he heard that, was in agony and under terror as not knowing how he should meet the Macedonians, since the king was displeased at his foregoing disobedience. He therefore ordained that the people should make supplications and should join with him in offering sacrifices to God, whom he besought to protect that nation and to deliver them from the perils that were coming upon them. Whereupon God warned him in a dream which came upon him after he had offered sacrifice, that he should take courage and adorn the city, and open the gates, that the rest appear in white garments, but that he and the priest should meet the king in the habits proper to their order, their priestly order, without the dread of any ill consequence which the providence of God would prevent. 
Upon which, when he rose from his sleep, he greatly rejoiced and declared to all the warning he had received from God, according to which dream he acted entirely and so waited for the coming of the king. Are you with me? Story time with Donovan. And when he understood that he was not far from the city, he went out in procession with the priest and the multitude of the citizens. The procession was venerable, and the manner of it from that of other nations, the approaching army, thought that uh, thought they should have liberty to plunder the city and torment the high priest to death, which the king's displeasure fairly promised them. The very reverse of it happened. For Alexander, when he saw the multitude at a distance in white garments, while the priest stood clothed in fine linen and the high priest in purple and scarlet clothing, with his mitre on his head, having the golden plate on which the name of God was engraved, he approached by himself and adored that name and first saluted the high priest. The Jews also did all together with one voice salute Alexander and encompass him about, whereupon the king of Syria and the rest were surprised at what Alexander had done and supposed him out of his mind. Josephus says disordered in his mind. However, Perminio alone went up to him and asked him how it came to pass that when all others adored him, he should adore the high priest of the Jews, to whom he replied. Listen to this. Listen to this. So Alexander the Great says this. I did not adore him, but that God who hath honored him with that high priesthood. For I saw this very person in a dream. In this very habit when I was at Dios in Macedonia. Who when I was considering with myself how I might obtain the dominion of Asia. Exhorted me to make no delay but boldly to pass over the sea thither. For what he would conduct that he would conduct my army and would give me the dominion over the Persians. Whence it is that having seen no other in that habit and now seeing this person in it. I remembered that vision. Are you catching this? Alexander the Great had a dream. God was ordering him as well and getting him to this right place. And then the high priest had a dream and was dressing the right way to match the dream that Alexander the Great had had. Only God could do something like that. And when he had said this to Parmenio, listen to this, and had given the high priest his right hand, the priest ran along him and came into the city. And when he went up into the temple, he offered sacrifice to God according to the high priest's direction and magnificently treated both the high priest and the priest. And when the book of Daniel was showed to him, wherein Daniel declared that one of the Greeks should destroy the empire of the Persians. So I, I didn't make this stuff up. He supposed that himself was the person intended and as was then glad. Talk about finding yourself in the word. He dismissed the multitude for the present. But the next day he called them to him and bade them ask what favors they pleased of him. Whereon the high priest came and he said, listen, let us keep the laws of our fathers. Please let us refrain from paying tribute on the Sabbath years, the sabbatical years. He asked for favor from Alexander. And Alexander, because of the dreams because of his reverence for the God that gave him those dreams, said, that's fine. You guys do what you want to do. I want to tell you something. God pays attention to the details. 
God knows how to get you where you're supposed to be. God knows how to take care of you. Listen, if you've made mistakes, if you've fallen, if you've tripped up, ask the Lord to forgive you. He has a way of reconfiguring everything again and giving you a second chance and a third chance and a tenth chance and a hundredth chance. And, and so he knows how to get help to you. And again, if he'll do this for these Gentile kings, these kings that didn't even worship him, how much more will he do that for those of us who have been born again of water and spirit? Can you say amen? <laughs> Excuse me, I got excited. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? Now, uh, it says that not among his posterity, this, 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 after his death, none of Alexander's descendants would succeed him. It wasn't like they didn't try. He, he did leave three possible heirs, a half-brother named Philip, and it said that he had some kind of mental disability. Uh, he had a son who was born after Alexander died, after that horrific party, and he had a son named Hercules. It's not the same, right, but named him after him, you know. And he had, he had Hercules with this other woman. And so the half-brother and the son born after Alexander's death, they at first they got this co-monarchy situation set up after Alexander died. They had a couple of regents that got into some fights, and the result was uh, both of these possible heirs were murdered. So that didn't go very well. And uh, the, the poor fellow who, who didn't think too clearly, he's out of the picture. So it says that his kingdom was divided toward the four winds of heaven. So after the death of all of Alexander's possible heirs, you got four generals, and we've looked at these before, that control the Greek empire. And um, it, it, it's pretty awesome. The rest of the prophecy is going to focus on two of the four, two of the four, and, and their dynasties that were established. And, and the reason is because they fought constantly. These two, these two generals with their dynasties, they constantly fought over the Holy Land, the Promised Land, Israel. They constantly fought over So they're significant. They push the story for, forward. And so that's why they're focused on in the prophecy. So it says that uh, the king of the south shall become strong. So here we have this mighty king, this, this southern king that is, is, is going to be strong. He'll gain power over him and have dominion. This is, this is fulfilled under Ptolemy I. Man, I feel like I'm in a Western Civ class. I'll try to breeze through this. But it's, it's like uh, we really, this just shows how God pays attention to the details. Ptolemy I of Egypt. He exerted control over uh, Jerusalem, over the promised land. And, and soon after the division of Alexander's empire, Ptolemy's dominates. And so then out of Ptolemy comes the Seleucus or the Seleucus uh, uh, dynasty. They rose to power. They took dominion over the region of Syria. And uh, you, have, uh, you have them becoming more powerful. And the Seleucids are the, the kings of the north. So you have Ptolemy in the south. You have the, the Seleucids in the north. And they go back and forth. So listen to this in verse 6. And at the end of some years, they shall join forces for the daughter of the king of the south shall go to the king of the north to make an agreement, but she shall not retain the power of her authority and neither he 
nor his authority shall stand. But she shall be given up with those who brought her, and with him who begot her, and with, uh, with him who strengthened her in those times. So you've got this joining of forces that, that they attempt through marriage. Again, the details. So a marriage is prophesied. The kings of the north and south become allies for a while because you have this marriage. The daughter of the king of the south shall go to the king of the north to make an agreement. That's Antiochus of the Seleucids and Berenice. Berenice, she's the daughter of Ptolemy II. There's peace for a time because of this marriage, but then the marriage falls apart and it gets all messed up. Ptolemy II dies, so it falls apart. She shall not retain the power of her authority. So here you have the details. Uh, after the death of Antiochus, uh, or Ptolemy II, Antiochus puts away Berenice and goes back to his his other wife. Just for the record, her name is Laodice. And neither he or his authority uh, shall stand, is what the word says. And so Laodice didn't trust her husband. I mean, he's already left her once. So then he dumps the new girl, comes back to Laodice, and then she's like, I don't know if I trust you. She poisons him and kills him. And so it says, it says, neither he nor his authority shall stand. The details, right? She shall be given up with those who brought her. After the murder of Antiochus II, Laodice had Berenice, her infant son, and her attendants killed. It's all prophesied. So you have this reign of terror. And then afterwards, Laodice set her son, Seleucus II, on the throne of the Syrian dominion. Verses 7 through 9. But from a branch of her roots, one shall arise in his place, who shall come with an army into the fortress of the king of the north and deal with them and prevail. And he shall also carry their gods captive to Egypt with their princes and their precious articles of silver and gold. And he shall continue more years than the king of the north. Also the king of the north shall come to the kingdom of the, uh, to the, kingdom of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. So he's coming with an army. The angel tells Daniel that a branch of her roots will come from the south and prevail over the kings of the north and is going to deal with them and, and prevail. This is fulfilled in the person of Ptolemy III, who was the brother of Berenice, the branch of her roots, it said. And so the brother of Berenice is the one that fulfills this. He avenges the murder of his sister, Ptolemy III, and, uh, and Ptolemy III invades Syria and and. He'll continue more years than the king of the north. Ptolemy III lived four years past Seleucus II. So you have this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Minute details, details that really you have to have the history to understand. The devil's not in the details. The hand of God is in the details. Man, you, you want to talk about the genius of God using, moving the pieces. It's, it's amazing. And so verse 10, however, his son shall stir up strife and assemble a multitude of great forces, and one shall certainly come and overwhelm and pass through. Then he shall return to his fortress and stir up strife. His sons will stir up strife. The sons of the kings of the north would continue the battle. One of the sons would conquer the, the holy land. It says overwhelm and pass it through. And 
And so, so here it's, you know, the Holy Land was in the middle of, of this, this fight. Assemble a great multitude of forces. This was fulfilled as Seleucus the third and Antiochus the third, the two sons of Seleucus the second. Both were successful generals, but Seleucus the third ruled only a short time, was succeeded by his brother. In this furious battle, Antiochus the third took back the Holy Land from the dominion of the Ptolemies. I know that's hard to follow. I'm just trying to hurry through this text. The details matter, though. Verses 11 through 12. And the king of the south shall be moved with rage and go out and fight with him, with the king of the north, who shall muster a great multitude, but the multitude shall be given into the hand of his enemy. When he has taken away the multitude, his heart will be lifted up, and he will cast down tens of thousands, but he will not prevail. So the king of the south is moved with rage. The angel tells Daniel the king of the south would attack and meet a great multitude of soldiers from the king of the north. And the king of the north would lose in battle, and his multitude would be defeated, and he would not prevail. This is fulfilled 200 years after it's written, when Antiochus III was defeated at the Battle of Raphia. It's, it's a historical record. Because of that loss, he was forced to give back dominion over the Holy Land to Ptolemy, now the fourth. Verses 13 through 16. For the king of the north will return and muster great, greater than the former uh, and shall certainly come at the end of some years with a great army and much equipment. Now in those times many shall rise up against the king of the south. Also violent men of your people shall exalt themselves in fulfillment of the vision, but they shall fall. So the king of the north shall come and build a siege mound and take a fortified city in the forces of the... Listen to this detail. It's crazy. So here's the deal. The angel tells Daniel that the northern dynasty would answer back, defeat the king of the south, this prolonged siege. So he mentions the word siege. And the victory would, would give the king of the north dominion again over the Holy Land. John Trapp, this 17th century theologian, says this, this interesting quote regarding this. The land of ornaments, that is Judea, which lying betwixt these two potent princes was perpetually afflicted as corn is ground asunder lying betwixt two heavy millstones. So they were just getting ground to a powder by these two guys that succeeded Alexander the Great. No one shall stand against them. This is fulfilled when Antiochus III invades Egypt again, gaining final control over the armies of Ptolemy V and over the Holy Land. Many will rise up against the king of the south. Jews living in the Holy Land helped Antiochus III defeat the king of the south. This was because the Jewish people resented the rule of the Egyptian Ptolemies. Violent men of your own people will exalt themselves in fulfillment of the vision. And then he who comes against him shall do according to his own will with destruction in his power. The Jewish people of the glorious land, we've seen this, this speaking of the promised land, initially welcomed Alexander III, I mean Antiochus III as a liberator from Egyptian rule, but it soon proved to not be such a good decision because he turned on them. Verse 17, he shall also set his face to enter with the strength of his whole kingdom and upright ones with him. Thus shall he do, and he shall give him the daughter of women to destroy it, but she shall not stand with him or be for him. Are you, are you with me? 
Are you tracking like a little bit? So we're about to mention Cleopatra, okay? This is all like historical stuff. So check this out. Verse 17, we just read it. He will set his face. The king of the north who ruled over the holy land would also attempt to dominate and destroy again the king of the south. He would make one attempt by giving the king of the south the daughter of women to destroy. She would not stand with him. This was fulfilled when Antiochus III gave his daughter Cleopatra. Now listen, this is not the most famous Cleopatra. She would be a hundred years after this. But this is where the name comes from. That Cleopatra. So this guy is trying to exert dominance again. And so he gives his daughter Cleopatra to Ptolemy V of Egypt, hoping to gain permanent influence and eventually control in Egypt. And to his great disappointment, Antiochus III, it doesn't really work out because Cleopatra kind of cheats on her husband and uh, just didn't work out. A lot of that going on. Uh, 1819 of chapter 11. After this, he shall turn his face to the coastlands and shall take many, but a ruler shall bring the reproach against them to an end, and with the reproach removed, he shall turn back on him. Then he shall turn his face toward the fortress of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and not be found. He's going to turn back. So you have these disappointing efforts, and uh, the daughter uh, with, with Cleopatra, and so he... He would turn his efforts towards the, the coast. And uh, you've got ships involved. He's going to stumble and fall, it says this. So here you have a fulfillment when Antiochus III goes to Asia Minor and Greece, gets help from Hannibal, the famous general from Carthage. And uh, you have this Roman general, Lucius Cornelius Scipio who defeated Antiochus in Greece. and You just have all these players come in, into play. Let, let me move on. Verse 20, there shall arise in his place one who oppose, imposes taxes, not one who opposes taxes. He would get my vote. This is one who imposes taxes on the glorious kingdom, but within a few days he will be destroyed, but not in anger or in battle. So that's also Fulfilled, he's assassinated, uh, probably by his brother. There's a lot of that going on too. Verse 21: In his place shall arise a vile person, to whom they will not give the honor of royalty, but he shall come in peaceably and seize the kingdom by intrigue. Now, this becomes Antiochus Epiphanes that we've looked at before, who is a type of the Antichrist. A type of the Antichrist. So let's go to 22 through 27. We may finish this. I'm, I'm pushing. With the force of a flood, they shall be swept away from before him and be broken, and also the prince of the covenant. And after the league is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, for he shall come up and become strong with a small number of people. He shall enter peaceably even into the richest places of the province, and he shall do what his fathers have done, have not done, 
nor his forefathers. He shall disperse among them the plunder, spoil, and riches. He shall devise his plans against the strongholds, but only for a time. He shall stir up the power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a great and mighty army. But he shall not stand, for they shall devise plans against him. Yes, those who eat of the portion of his delicacies shall destroy him. His army will be swept away, and many shall fall and be slain. Both these kings' hearts shall be bit on evil, and they shall speak lies at the same table. But it shall not prosper, for the end will still be at the appointed time. So here you have, again, a navy getting involved. I, I'm going to skip some stuff because I want to get to this. It, it, it's just a lot of back and forth. So let's go to verse 36. Are you with me? Don't you want to get to the Antichrist part, right? Like the new Antichrist coming? So verse 36, Then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished for what has been determined shall be done. The Antichrist that will be revealed, spoken of in the New Testament, Jesus spoke of him, Paul spoke of him. The Antichrist is the end times own version of Antiochus Epiphanes. In verse 36, there's this shift from the back and forth, the Seleucids, the Ptolemies, and this one did that one, and Cleopatra and Berenice and all this stuff. There's this shift to a future fulfillment, something that's coming in the future. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god. So here you have the angel explaining to Gabriel that this king would blaspheme God and exalt himself until the wrath has been accomplished and what has been determined shall be done above every god. So here you have this shift from just the Ptolemies and the Seleucids to what will be fulfilled in Antichrist who will be a world dictator. And, and, and Daniel spoke of this, that, and it pertained to the latter days. He said that in Daniel 10, verse 14. And so here we're starting to look to the final world dictator, which has been mentioned all along in the book of Daniel. With that image, you have the toes and the feet of iron and clay and the rock that comes and destroys the image. You've got this constant reference to that last day kingdom, that world dictator. We saw it in our study in Revelation. And then Christ coming and defeating him. So let's move on. We know that everything about this prophecy was not fulfilled during the career of Antiochus Epiphanes. Jesus specifically said that the real abomination of desolation was a future event. Matthew 24, we looked at that last time. The Apostle Paul spoke, paraphrased Daniel 11.36 when he spoke of the Antichrist. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Second Thessalonians 2, 3, 3, 4. So Antiochus is very, 
important. Stand with me right now. Antiochus is very important in Bible prophecy because he, 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 he gives us a picture to look at so that we could recognize the end times version of Antiochus Epiphany uh, or Epiphanies. So, I'm not going to be able to do it, y'all. So, we're almost done, though. Just a few more verses. Here's the bottom line. Tonight, God pays attention to the details. God's moving the pieces. I want to tell you something. That coronavirus, COVID-19, not a surprise to God. I'm going to tell you something. Joe Biden choosing Kamala Harris, not a surprise to God. Donald Trump, not a surprise to God. Global politics, geopolitics, not a surprise to God. None of it is a surprise to God. Somehow evil moves and works in our world, but God has an ultimate plan and purpose that will be accomplished. The enemy thinks that he's going to win this, y'all. But I got news for him. I've read the back of the book. We went through it together. In the end, Jesus wins. King of kings, Lord of lords, why don't you give him some praise right now? Every knee will bow. I'm telling you one day, Antiochus Epiphanes of old and Antiochus Epiphanes yet to be revealed will drop to their knees and say, there is hero Israel. The Lord our God is one. Hallelujah. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. Shema, come on. Hero Israel. Every knee will bow. And so, you know, the obvious with that is, if you're going to bow then, you might as well bow now. Because if you bow now, you'll get the benefits of that God and His holy angels working on your behalf. Helping you, strengthening you, confirming you, moving you, directing you, ordering your steps. Lean not on your own understanding. Lean on the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He, he leads me. He leads me. I can expect help from Him. Come on, I want to pray for you right now. Father, I pray that faith would rise up in this house tonight. Not a weak faith and not a passive faith, but an aggressive faith that's strong. It says, God, if you promised it, I claim it in Jesus' name. If you can move geopolitics like pawns on a chessboard, then, then, Father, you can bring your promises to pass in my life. You said I could speak to the mountain and it would be removed. You said you were Jehovah, the Lord who heals me, Jehovah Rapha. You said you were Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides for me. And Father, I want to grab a hold of that. I want to walk in agreement with that. I want to hide that word in my heart that I can't sin, that I don't sin against you. Going, whatever is not a faith is sin. So I want to hide the word. Faith comes by hearing the word. I want to hide the word in my heart so that faith rises up when the adversity comes. When the temptation to fear and be overwhelmed comes, the faith rises up. And in Jesus' name, I am who I am says I am. And I can do what I am says I can do. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. 
For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.